Let's get it. Yo, 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 it is the Chop Up Show. Shout out to everybody tapping in right now, whether you are on the YouTube or the Facebook Live or whether you are listening on uh, what we got, Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Shout out to you. This is the Chop Up Show. What's good with it? We are happy to have you. It's your girl, Toya G, another Thursday night rocking and rolling with y'all. Of course, I'm not by myself. We in here with the political plug. We're going to have a great conversation tonight about CRT, critical race theory, and where y'all just, where we as a collective got to get some things no, figured out no about that. So, ish. Yeah, we got we to gotta, we gotta jump in here and, and, and figure out what's good. If you in, if you in the building, we see D in the chat. We see Miss Maeja in the chat. We see J Universe in the chat. Um, tap in with us. Let us know. Say what's up. Don't be rude. Use your manners. Um, and let's get it rocking and rolling. Taz, we might, we may. I, you don't. You. you don't. I know Taz don't. You don't. My goodness gracious. Well, <laughs> listen, the plug is, is is ready to put on, you know, that teaching hat. I got some things to say myself. And so really this whole conversation is really oriented around us gaining a deeper uh, understanding of the history and a more developed vocabulary when it comes to these conversations and also taking a moment to think about the implications of what CRT looks like now that the cat is out the bag, right? Now that it's becoming a little bit more folding into, folded into everybody's daily conversations, the issues, the political decisions they're making. We want to make sure we got everything uh, in line and straight up and that we're on the same page and that we encourage ourselves to start to educate ourselves even outside of conversations like these. So with that, um, it's great to have y'all. Make sure you speak in the comments when you come in and talk to us tonight. We want to make sure we're having a back and forth with everybody. What's up, the Vance? Uh, plug, take it away. All right, so getting right into it, man. Um, this is an important conversation for a few reasons. Uh, so if y'all ain't been paying attention, the new conservative golden boy, right? The, the, the person that is supposed to be replacing Trump in mm-hmm. terms of conservative politics is this guy down in Florida known as Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. And Ron DeSantis is really making his name off doing everything he can to be like anything associated with uh, uh, wokeness or anything associated with consciousness, right? Like, that's the enemy. That's Mm -hmm. the bad guy. Like, literally, nobody's teaching critical race theory in Florida elementary schools or Florida public schools but this man is literally creating policies to, to ban critical race theory. Right? Mm-hmm. And, so what, and so what we can see is that right now, uh, critical race theory, the idea of wokeness, calling out structural uh, institutional racism, those things are pretty much that like that's the that's the new battlefield for the culture war that we mm-hmm. own. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's it's pretty much the new place where conservatives are saying this is where we're gonna create the bad guy. This is this is what we're gonna demonize. This is what we're gonna say is the problem. And so if y'all been paying attention to recent headlines, it's been all these conversations about banning CRT, banning any any education, not because not even really just CRT. This conversation is about CRT, but they they're talking about banning uh, any conversation that has to do with sexual orientation, mm-hmm. which they ain't even realizing also speaks to heterosexual. You know what I'm saying? That's an orientation as well, but that's a whole nother conversation. Of course. But as, as a part of their efforts to attempt to say that the left and liberals are indoctrinated 
uh, the culture, they indoctrinated people. They're, they've started this woke rallying cry. This we got to ban CRT. We got to ban critical race theory. And I also give a hat tip too, real quick, because we're talking a lot about blackness, and of course we're black people, so we're gonna talk about this through the historical and contextual lens of blackness. But we also mm -hmm. can't forget that indigenous folks are getting ran through the ringer as well. They don't. That not only do they not want us to be talking about slavery, but we got to acknowledge that they don't want us to really understand the implications of what settler colonialism has done, the ways that we have treated indigenous folks, past, present, and probably in the future, and the distorted. Uh, components of ownership, of rights, of sovereignty that also intersect and cut against some of the same things that we're talking about in context of black folks. So we got to make sure that we center the fact that when we talk about critical race theory, then of course that implicates uh, the way that we understand the Latin A experience. That also then implicates how we understand the Asian experience, things like uh, the Chinese black. Exclusion Act. The way, I mean, there's so many different things that then go down mm -hmm the the spectrum or go across the spectrum of things that they don't want us talking about we're going to talk specifically in terms of blackness but all of that stuff is off the table in terms of critical race theory in terms of critical race theory and yeah. so um what's happened for me is i've been peeping game and seeing what's going on um in you know media and culture and politics and i'm just thinking okay boom these are just conservative talking points this is just more conservative more conservative rallying cries more dog whistles people ain't really buying into this though right and wrong incorrect and wrong like two people i respect and i ain't even gonna put them on blast because i still love them and i still respect them mm -hmm. but two people that i respect came out and like told me straight up that they don't really rock with critical race theory and these and, are not white people these are these are these are black folk this is this is my folk these is my people people yeah. I rock. and like both individuals it shocked me because i'm like i know what y'all believe about the world i know what y'all you know what I'm saying? I know what y'all care about. I know y'all politics. How can you not rock with critical race theory? And they both had different reasons, but both of their reasons were tied up in the way that it's framed. Mm -hmm. It told me at that moment, we are losing. Black leftists, uh, uh, critical race thinkers, critical race theory thinkers, you feel me? We losing the battle. Yeah. Our, like our form of academia, our, our ways of thought, right, are being whitewashed it, as they get caught up in the what, what we call a uh, popular culture, especially right. now that there's been like this, it's, it's, it's been this real close connection between popular culture and politics, right? And, and we see that same, uh, we see that same combination being reflected in how people are sitting back saying like, hmm, this is what I understand uh, critical race theory to be. And so what I took away from them conversations was like, yo, we don't know. Is it two minutes? Yeah, it's two minutes. Yeah. We don't know shit about critical race theory as a people as a whole like this this whole lens that was created to view the law and to view the world from our perspective that's been traditionally ignored and traditionally marginalized we don't know shit about this and and everybody's talking about it and the people that are most involved the people that have the biggest you know what i'm saying uh, a stake in critical race theory right shit about it so I want to start with uh with with the with the with the mainstream conversation. What's up, Toya? Well, I mean, the only thing I want to say is this: I, I really want to be clear about what we kind of what what has been the punching bag, right? Or what people have been shadow boxing with, because they not really been boxing with the real version of critical race theory, right? They've been boxing mm -hmm. with the straw man version of what critical race theory is, the weaker version that you know you just really want to take a swing at because it sounds icky and scary and problematic or whatever. But two, you know, we started this conversation with Ron DeSantis as the person currently pushing this conversation, but these seeds were planted by Trump. 
right? So it's no mm -hmm. coincidence, right? When we think back to the influence on that presidency and that trajectory, we can't just give all the credit to DeSantis. It's important to acknowledge, and I think what you about to kind of play shows this, that these ideologies were planted, the seeds were planted deeply as CRT being the boogeyman that needed to be targeted back then, and now they've simply translated through Ron DeSantis. And I'm sure, you know, even as an opponent, one area they're going to agree about, uh, when because, you know, Donald Trump is running again, is that we got to get that CRT on up out of there. And so, um, um, you yeah, and he's he, he, he's already made that statement. Yeah. He's already said it. As they, he runs again, he's going to ban CRT. They're going to uh, disagree but, about a lot of stuff, but they're on the same page about that shit right there. But this is what people out here sounding like. Let's go ahead, well, and I get very aggravated because I notice the folks who push CRT do not seem to take the time to teach about Frederick Douglass, who was a great black founding father. They have erased the work of early black people in this country, Frederick Douglass, um, uh, Harriet Tubman, many of these things, we're not taught about them and their full uh, capacity. Wait, with the so founders. what we need to do is we need to get rid of the CRT nonsense and start teaching more about what Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, John Brown, the person who uh, stole the uh, Confederate ship, yeah. W.E.B. Du Bois, Marcus Garvey, yeah. Malcolm X, yeah. Martin Luther King, yeah. Farrakhan. For, I mean, you know, the, the list goes on. The list goes it, on. It's crazy. It is a robbery uh, of both black and white children to not teach that history because black children yeah. should be knowing that there were great black leaders that they can identify with. And uh, yeah, it's like no one, none of these kids know who Marcus Garvey is. Yeah, exactly. Stupid. Now, now to be clear, uh, the person asking the questions, <laughs> right? He was, uh, he, he was being, he was being more sarcastic, right? Like he, because the, a lot of the names that he was pointing to were individuals that we argue need to be highlighted more, and she agreed. What you just saw was how, like, the racist brain, the way cognitive dissonance works in the racist brain. Mm -hmm. like, literally, the very tenets of critical race theory, one of the tenets that we'll talk about, which is called history, uh, revisionist history, speaks on making sure to account for the, uh, the, 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 uh, the black people who have contributed to history in, in forms of resistance and ways of pushing back. And she's saying she's against critical race theory because it... Go ahead, Toya. I mean, I think the thing, one of the things that tickles me about this clip that I just wanted to kind of point out as you talk about and explain cognitive dissonance and how it's working right now is, I mean, bro literally was like, we need to learn more about Far Farrakhan. She agreed. She saw, I mean, like that, that lets you know that nuance is beyond them. That they don't, they also kind of group and scoop all black people together. In this particular instance, because she's so misled about what critical race theory is, she didn't even know what it is to, to, to disagree with him. She's like, yeah, we basically need more critical race theory. We need to be talking about these black leaders who have specifically spoken against the institution and the establishment that is the United States as it exists. Right. Mm -hmm. But she's saying to, and, and was just dumb enough to agree that we need to learn about more Farrakhan. We start teaching more about Farrakhan like this lady just said, and guess what? Ain't going to be no scoop. So Ain't this, gonna be, listen, I, it's dumb. Just the stupidity is oozing. And of course, for the people listening to it on the pod, like she fully trumped out. This is at a Trump rally, right? Yeah. This is her dip up. And I don't know if it's Trump 2020, 20, um, I don't know if it was a Trump 2020 or a 2024 rally. I'm sorry, a 20, 2000. Yeah, no. Yeah, 2020 or 2024. Math, yeah. math yeah. leaves me, it escapes me at times. I don't know which mm -hmm. era of it, because it could be a very recent video. But the bottom mm -hmm. line is, right, these ideologies are across that party. There's just a lot of stupid going on over there. It's, it's, it's a whole lot of stupid. Mine, it was good. 
a lot of that stupid is tied up in uh and really just people who call themselves like conservative thinkers like white thinkers it's caught up in in them uh, attempting to run with this straw man that they've created but when they are actually held to the fire when they are given the opportunity to explain what these things mean they struggle for mm -hmm. example we saw this recently with the issue of uh, a, a, a conservative author, a conservative thinker, being asked to describe <laughs> what woke meant. Being so, asked to describe what woke meant. Let's take a look. And Americans consider themselves very liberal, and probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when when well, we talk about traditional, you? Could, could, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple times, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that. Um, I, this is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re -to totally reimagine and re re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, sorry, I, it's it's hard to explain in a fifteen second soundbite. Yeah, take look, your it, time, honey. She said, "No, please take your time." Right? I want to be clear about who these people are. This clip is going viral right now. It's been all over my Twitter and Instagram timeline. This is Brianna Joy Gray on uh, uh, I, I guess her show Rising, talking to Bethany Mandel, who was this conservative uh, constituent of the conservancy uh, the, or the conservatives uh, that is talking a uh, 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 big and real tough about wokeness but can't even define it and Couldn't who even... is and who ain't woke bro she glitched up it was like a, mm -hmm. a, a, 15 seconds isn't enough ask the niggas 15 I'm, seconds isn't enough I'm to a... explain like but it's jokes they write and they write books about it and, and these are people these are these are these are people writing books about it and so when you see them attempt to talk about these concepts that they're throwing out there they're saying it's dangerous that they're saying they don't want their kids to learn that they're saying it's problematic they don't even know they don't know, but they're the loudest. Yeah. And we, our people, are falling for this. Our people are buying into this type of propaganda. We're, we're, a, lot of the, a lot of the reason why I'm really like, oh, yeah, we have to have this conversation. We got to get into breaking down what this really means is because yeah. when you start seeing Black people stand up and argue again. Hold on. You got to see it. You got to see it. Critical race theory is teaching that white people are bad. That's not true. That would teach my daughter that her mother is evil. Hmm. You already have an educator within your staff that has pulled my daughter aside and said, well, you're a minority, so you know better than to engage in certain things. Okay. Wow. 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 When I was brought to the school's attention, nothing happened to the educator. Instead, my daughter was brought in and she was ridiculed. So my question is now, with critical race theory being brought in, what is your criteria to educate the educators? And who are you to educate my children, or any of our children, in life issues? That's our job. Your job is to teach them math and science. Our job. Right, shut up. Shut up. All right. Uh, who are you to teach? The teacher. Genius. Like... You know, <laughs> And and so again, here is a it's, it's a black person that's framing critical race theory as just telling white people that they're bad, right? So what we're going to do today 
what we're going to do today, we're going to get into the tenets of what critical race theory actually is. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into the tenets of what critical race theory is, and we're going to discuss some of the criticisms and some of the responses that are typically associated with uh, with these tenets and like how to respond to them from a actual critical race theorist lens. Right. We're getting it straight from the horse's mouth, right? Richard Delgado, uh, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, Derek Bell. Bell. We're getting it straight from right. We're getting it straight from the horse's mouth as, as we get into it. So to start it out, I know everybody wants to hear what is critical race theory. The easiest way, like start there. What is critical race theory? Well, first, what you got to understand is that it's not something that has like a very clear static uh, uh, interpretation, right? It's, it's there is a definition of what it is, mm-hmm. but how it's interpreted varies from thinker to thinker, right? And it is a critical race theory is a set of tenets that we'll get into, right? That kind of outline the experience of people of color in this country and how it relates to the social structure, the legal structure and other social institutions uh, that people of color come into contact with. But it's it's uh, a set of tenets, not one particular thing, not one particular definition. Right. Critical race theorists operate from a lens that is defined by a set of tenets uh, that break down how the role that race plays in uh, the lives of people of color as well as white people in this country. And so the first question I want to ask, though, with that understanding, before we start getting into the tenets, is Toya, how do you feel about it having a definition, but not like because I would argue it's not that it's good that it's not it doesn't have that full interpretation. Right. Because you can you can be someone that believes in certain aspects of these tenets, but disagree with others and still operate from the lens of critical race theory. And so I, I think that it's, it's more strategic for it to uh, not have a, a, a static interpretation um, as opposed to like, this is just what it is. What say so you? I think that, you know, and this is going to be opposite of what I said before we started talking, but I think our reasoning might be different. My reasoning for I think it being good that it, there is some staticity and flexibility in how we come to interpret critical race theory, but that there are some common uh, uh, kind of, as we call them, tenets that hold it together, that become the appendages of that school of thought. I think it's good that there is not some linearity there and there's some flexibility and fluidity in that definition because um, I think it speaks to the non-monolithic way that Black people, Brown people, people of color have come to exist in this country, right? As debaters, I'll give you an example. If we go back to us debating issues of critical race theory in the policy debates we had in college, like you would have Black people debating other Black people and a lot of white people were like, wow, well, what are you all going to debate about? We clearly (laughs) agree on everything. And it's like, no, actually, we have a lot of different orientations, perspectives, internalizations, orientations, priorities, methods of resolving issues of race and raciality in this country. There are a bunch of different things that are negotiable that we go through. We've seen that historically, right? The classic Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and the classic Booker T. Washington versus W.B. Du Bois, right? We've seen historically our revolutionary leaders not being in complete agreement with how we, but they understand the niggas come first. They understand that black institution building is important and that black people need to have control and power of things to what extent and around what parameters they may disagree, but they understand that the interest and the needs and the prioritization of Black people ought to be of paramount importance to everybody who are stakeholders in the lives of Black people. And so right. 
right? I think when we start to look at it from that angle, it makes a lot of sense that there are loose interpretations that change within generations, that change mm -hmm. as we learn more about just kind of uh, objective knowledge and where people came from and how things have come to be. There's just a bunch of different ways that shape and change and erode or compose of people's understanding and interpretation of what critical race theory yeah. is. But I mean, I, I asked the same question to you then. Why do you think it's a good thing that we have fluidity in the ways that it's interpreted? Look, I mean, because it's, it's, and I, I apologize for using this actual analogy, but there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, hey, Peter, don't, don't, you know, cancel us. But that, that's just the, there, there's just multiple ways to go about doing these things. And so how people like perceive race, and how they think we should go about solving the issues that race creates. We can have the same perception, but think that the that the solution is is we have different approaches to the solution. Right. You know what I mean? And so so when you look at even things like the way that because uh, a common argument is that well, if it's loose like that, then anybody then they can interpret it any way that they want to, right? Like anybody can say it's anything. But I yeah. think what when we have to deal with when we come with when we're when we're literally talking about black thought, it is non-unique to feel that. Uh, what black people say will be misinterpreted. That's gonna happen regardless. Absolutely. Like, like how we present ourselves is is not in our control. Blackness is is subject to how it's interpreted throughout the racial hierarchy. So, uh, it being fluid serves more of a benefit to us, regardless of the different ways that they really attempt to try to say this is what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though we will have disagreements of what it is and what it should look like, but that's cool, right? Because ultimately. The, the end goal is still to create that lens to understand the ways that we are impacted by the social racial hierarchy, the way that right. that social rate hierarchy impacts the law, et cetera. So um, that's that's the way that I would frame that. And again, uh, so I guess I guess I'll just say it's more than one way to do things. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you have the same goal. My bad. I, I mean, many roads um, lead to a destination. How about that one? Okay, my Angelou. All hey, right. listen, you mad? Um, Are you upset? Yeah, I beat Dominique. I beat the plug in the poetry contest 15 years oh, ago. He ain't let it go yet. He ain't let it go yet, man. Hey, let it go. she came to my high school, man. I was the I was the resident poet, man. She, yeah. Toya came to my high school and beat me in the in the poetry, in the poetry contest. I got I come across the city on you. Listen, it's not a problem. You know what I'm but it is what it is. But uh, so let's go ahead and get into the tenets, though. Let's let's get into what makes critical race theory critical race theory. We're gonna start with the first one, the one that I think is the most important, the one that I'm like, hell yeah, this is what we need to break down, and that is the idea. The first tenet, critical race theory, is the idea that racism is ordinary. It is not an aberration. It is not a a, a distraction. It is not a deviation. Racism is the usual way to do business in Western society. Mm -hmm. specifically in America. Uh, there, it's, it's a lot of misperception by, of, on what that means. And that is a hard truth that a lot of people uh, are, find difficult to deal with. And, that, and so th this idea, the idea that racism, that there's a permanence of racism, as Derek Bell would say, um, that's attached to the United States, is that uh, it's called racial realism. Racial realism. Uh, it, it's the straight up belief that regardless of how we look at the society, the good things that the society has done and the bad things the society has done, racism played a role in both of those things. So, yeah. Well, what, before we really get into, because I, I think racial realism is a fact, right? And, and so I want to start to, when we start to, the same way we know that like 
I won't even go down that rabbit hole. I want to make sure we sit and really go back and shout out the names of the individuals who started this as a school of thought, who really started to sew these tenets together. And when we started to see this burgeon as a particular theory of power that we can start to rally around. So drop some of those gems real quick before we get into the rest of the tenets. It's just like, when did we start thinking about this? When did we start understanding racial realism as a functionality of our society? Right. So uh, you have Derek Bell, as we mentioned, yeah. he's known as the godfather of uh, or like, like they call him the intellectual godfather of uh, critical race theory and it, it's it's uh it kind of solidified in a work known as the faces of the, at the bottom of the well um the permanence of racism and it was three legal papers uh that existed in studies uh legal uh studies previously that they compiled to create uh what's known as um the faces at the bottom of the well, and that's mm. when that's when he really starts to introduce the, his idea of racial realism and the role that racism plays and how we understand society as a whole, right? Even even a lot of ways that we ignore. Um, and so, uh, where you have uh, Derek Bell, then you have Kimberly Crenshaw, mm. who introduced the concept known as intersectionality, which speaks, and we're going to talk more about intersectionality and essentialism or anti-essentialism. But she introduced the idea that our identities are not static. Uh, monolithic things, but inter, uh, intersect uh, uh, matrices of intersections. Mm. You know what I'm saying that that make us who make us who we are. And then you have uh, Richard Delgado, who is an educator who produced the work known as Critical Race Theory and Introduction, um, which is a great way to first to kind of start to understand what these tenets are, um, and as well as some tools to help to actually help teach it in the class. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Even as you see people, you know, trying to, trying to uh, get it up out of there. And so those, those are the three that uh, I've read the most uh, to help me understand critical race theory. Uh, and like I said, if you want to get started, if you, if you want to get a really basic understanding, I think the fifth edition is now out of critical race theory and introduction um, by Richard Delgado. So definitely need the opportunity to check that out. And just to place this on a timeline, this is like late 70s, early 80s, where we start to see a lot of this, these works formalize themselves. And so we've right. been looking at critical race theory as a uh, uh, theoretical academic lens of understanding race in this country for about what that make it two and two, about 45, 50 yeah. years, about half a century. Yeah. So, give it right. Right. And, and, to, and to understand it from a, 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 a depth a little bit further is that. Critical race theory stems from what was called critical legal studies. Mm -hmm. And it was when legal think like black legal thinkers started to look at the law from the perspective of uh, the racial lens, the lens that like, really from the perspective that the law itself is racialized. And even critical legal studies stemmed from critical studies, which is, which is a uh, branch of philosophy that really discusses the role that uh, labels and hierarchies play in society. Yeah and how those representations and hierarchies and roles are created, right? So crit uh, critical race theory became a, a, a hyper-focus on the experiences of people of color in the United States in, in, a, in a uniquely racial, racialized uh, standpoint. So when we talk about the, the role that race plays, it, it, racism being ordinary, mm -hmm. right? That is a society that's built off a racial hierarchy, a unilateral racial hierarchy. It works yeah. one way. Right, this it's a ladder that only goes from the top down. Ain't no, yeah. you know, that climbing up shit don't work like that. The middle is negotiated, which that's a whole another show. Um, but the idea is that it's it's such a normal process that even like racism is something that we that we view as normal. Yeah, as as, as every day, just as American as apple pie. Yeah. So, uh, 
We got, we got, we we did our historicization. You know, I'm a teacher. Professor Green is in the building, so we had to go ahead with <laughs> a, a, a framework. A framework. Now, let's go back to these tenets. You talked about racial realism. What is mm -hmm. another necessary component of critical race theory that has been articulated and categorized within? Uh, so the, the the next tenet of uh, the next tenet of critical race theory is the fact that racism in our society uniquely benefits white people. Racism uniquely benefits white people. So mm -hmm. when you hear the conversation about, excuse me, why why white people can't experience racism, it's it's tied up in the fact that, like I mentioned, race is a hierarchy that works from top to bottom. That works from top to bottom. White at the top, black at the bottom. Those two positions are are like defined, uh, and, and are statically defined. Is yeah. how we should look at it, right? The top is white, the bottom is black. Everything in between is is uh is a is is a deviation based on how close it is to either one right the model minorities like age like uh, certain asian groups are seen closer to the top part of that hierarchy mm -hmm. right but then the demonized minorities like uh uh, uh migrants uh undocumented uh, undocumented uh immigrants they are they are closer to the bottom of that hierarchy mm -hmm. right but black and white are used to clearly define the racial hierarchy as it exists in the United States. And so the second tenet of critical race theory is understanding that whiteness uniquely benefits that hierarchy. Now, with racial realism and the existence of that racial hierarchy, a lot of people feel as if, right, that it can be uh, disheartening. Mm. That type of information could, could, could it, 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 it can cause, it, it, right, it makes them sad. It can cause mm. them paralysis. People could feel like they it's nothing that I can do because racism plays such a large role and it's so important or whatever. So, Toya, I want to ask you, and I want to ask the chat as well. Uh, does operating from the standpoint that race is the reality of America, racism is a reality of American society, and that white people uniquely benefit from that racial hierarchy, does it cause paralysis? Does it cause, or should it cause black people to not want to do anything or feel like there's nothing that we can do? Right, the complete nihilism. If it's that bad, then we shouldn't do anything. Your thoughts? I, I think it does cause a paralysis, and I'm gonna let you explain the paralysis that it, it happened that occurs with black people. But I think for me, the paralysis that it causes because it happens on both sides. I think for white people who are forced to deal with the implications of whiteness, it caused them to kind of give up their hands, like, well, we're, what, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't choose my grandparents. Like, what do you want me to say? If I'm just always right. going to, if you're just always going to blame everything on me being white, then why should I even try to, like, be empathetic to what you're saying? Because even if I do all of this work over here and I talk to the black person at work and I say hi to my black neighbors and I talk to that, I could just have this one instance at a grocery store and now I'm just some white guy. Right? I'm just, none of that matters. And so I think that yeah. gets them so frustrated. Right? Because I don't think as much as we call white people stupid, right? I don't think they're really stupid. I think they end up resolving with stupid shit because they're able to play. Play dumb, play stupid, play ignorant, and they pick the easiest path that allows them the most plausible deniability or the ability to just right. like make themselves from being implicated in the crime, to, to not do any hard work, right? right? And so I think in that world, the paralysis that we talk about for white people exists in a world where they just are like... I don't know. They just throw up their hands like, well, what do you want me to do? I didn't choose it. I didn't pick it. I didn't get you off the boat. I didn't put right. you on the right. on the plantation. I just nobody alive is responsible for slavery. <laughs> and so that's why that gives them a reason to 
you know, make excuses for themselves and for other white people to not hold them accountable, to not make hard decisions, to not be a part of hard conversations and to not decenter themselves is because they just feel like I didn't choose this life. It chose me. Sure. Yeah. I, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think that the information in and of itself is, is what is 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 what is causing this paralysis. Um, shout out to Vance. He said it's wild. They act like chattel slavery wasn't literally legal and just the same as other identities were escorted into white. There were others shoved into Negro as well. Hello. Right. That uh, That's facts, uh, especially like indigenous communities. They call actually they caught them niggas with the quick. They caught them niggas with the quickness. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, and then, I mean, let's not are, forget about I was just going to say indigenous people and then colorism that exists amongst you pick a racial category. Dark, that's a use you heard the plug say specific Asians get access to modern minority status. What is meant there is that the darker you get, right? Asians, Indians are Asians. Did y'all y'all realize that a lot of people think Asia is somewhere else? It's right there. I'm sorry, you think India is somewhere else? It's right there in Asia. And they mm -hmm. half the time don't even get access to their Asian identity. Only recently have we been talking about Pacific Islander, Indian, and other races when we start to talk about the Asian identity. And that's Just because recently, yeah. the darker you are, right, the less kind of uh, access to that particular understanding. Let's talk about Latinx culture, right? Mm -hmm. We already got Afro-Latinos. Let's not even, we can, they could have a whole conversation about them themselves um, and the complicated nature of where to vote, drop people off. Right, you just speak a different language, but we was we was cousins, except for that I just stayed on and you got off. And then we also right. deal with the colorism that exists in Mexican cultures, right? And even cultures right. that have European connections and descent with them. So there is a lot of weird stuff going on in terms of how people and, see how the, the spectrum nature of who gets pushed where. And and the reason why that stuff gets maintained is that uh the people act like there is there's something that's stopping them from uh, actually addressing these things, but the real issue is calling out y'all what what you benefit from. Right, right. Like as a man, I can I, I can I can look at the fact that I benefit from uh, male privilege, right? Regard my blackness kind of alters that privilege, and we'll talk about intersectionality here in a second. But I can admit that it it been it, it actually I get a I get a privilege from being a man without without saying that you know I, as a black man I occupy the same space. As a white man, and, and right. get the same privilege, right? So now that the idea that there's a paralysis, that paralysis simply comes from the people who are benefiting from certain structures in the system, not really feeling like wanting to call it out. They cool with having that benefit, right? So yeah. paralysis is an excuse. I've been told that, like, man, bro, you you talk too negative sometimes. Like, I was literally just breaking down how the United States government has admitted that black children, specifically black boys and, and queer black children, are disciplined more. In the middle school and high school levels than other students and i was told that bro that's negative that's like like nah like you got to understand the conditions that we operate in in order to create real solutions because if you're just running around talking about this is what black people need to do but you're not understanding the circumstances that black people are existing in you run mm -hmm. in your mouth right so that yeah. the, the whole concept of some type of, of being overly negative because they're because we're dealing with the reality of racism in the united states goes really to show how again cognitive dissonance puts us in a position where i would rather make excuses for what i have to hear mm -hmm. as opposed to challenging the challenging things that exist in my life that i benefit from absolutely it's, it's, it's that simple um the next tenet is 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 a is what's known as the social construction thesis and this is that race is a product of social thought and relations it's mm -hmm. not objective or inherent no biological or genetic reality that means Critical race theorists believe that there, there is, and actually biologists as well, anthropologists, 
Anybody that works in science recognizes that there is no biological reality to race. Right? There is nothing inherent about the racial experience. It's all crafted based off of the social standards, the social labels that yeah. are created. Um, and, and this is something that we hear often, Toya. I'm pretty sure it's something that you've heard often, and that is that, uh, well, even if race is socially constructed, it impacts our material lives. Mm-hmm. So then, so then, what then becomes the benefit of saying that it is socially constructed? Oh, uh, I mean, I think what's the so the question is, what is the benefit of seeing race as socially constructed, or is that good? What's the benefit? I think the benefit of seeing race as socially constructed is that then you get to kind of make the argument that then the corrective actions needed in this world or decisions that people have made to opt out. So when we have grievances, when we want to hold institutions accountable, it's largely because nigga, you did it and it can be undone. You're making the decision not to right? these scientific, the lack of science for race, the fact that literally that you have in your body, that chemical being melanin, which is no different than the different genetic components that determine your eye color, your hair color. My hair is a lighter color brown or shade of brown than a lot of the black people I know. Doesn't make me special. Just means that's how my stuff was shaken and stirred when my mama and daddy did what they did, right? right? And so understanding race like that and then seeing how it has been materialized socially and constructed then only begs the question, in my opinion, of why you not doing shit. If it's not that deep and it's not that big of a deal, why you can't let it go? Right. My biggest question for a white person really who is out there uh, uh, really about anti-racist work is my question is always going to be a relation, your relationship to sacrifice. Mm. I think black people have historically uh, and people of color have historically had to give up their bodies and they had to give up right. their capital or their ability right. to sustain or su- su- survive or sustain themselves. So, so give up the objectivity. So if you really want to, you know, act like you about that life, I want to see what you're willing to give up on the level of your body right. and what you're willing to give up on the level of material. You should, if, if, if the answer is nothing, if you think just educating yourself is enough, if you want to pat yourself on the back for having these little piecemeal attempts, right, at dealing with things, and I don't trust you because you have not done the work to just undo the power mm. dynamic. Remember, right. it's just a human social in, construct. In yourself, the power in yourself. dynamic in yourself, yes. So if you're not willing yes. to do that, I don't, I don't buy it. And so when we look at so the race is a social construct. Yes, I think it's good. Yes, I think it's necessary because then it puts the ball back in white people court. Like if it's been done, it could be undone. What you doing? It could be undone. Right. So and, and this is the thing. I think that the problem with that, like as Toya talks about breaking it down within yourself, like I even as somebody who, you know, that when I come on these platforms, I'm defending the rights of gay people. I'm defending the rights of, you know, what I'm saying trans people to exist and live and be happy and be, you know what I'm saying? That don't mean that I'm perfect. Mm-hmm. I still have problematic aspects. Like Toya just had to check me about uh, it was conversations that we and I'm cool with being yeah. I'm I'm cool with being um <laughs> transparent like this because niggas need to recognize this. Last week we was just talking about Tyler Perry. I made a joke about niggas in a dress. Toya was like, "Up, oh, no, right <laughs> now." You know what I'm saying? And the thing, the thing was, is, you know, I was, I was poking, I was being sarcastic about that position, but at the same time, we have to be aware, right? That, cause nigga, that can come up as a very easy criticism. Cause that's a lot of, that's something that a lot of people say about Tyler Perry. So like, like that, like anti-racist work that critical race theorists like uh, talk about and that mm-hmm. they advocate for is an active process. Constant. It's an active process. Even amongst, even amongst people that look like us, how we see other black people matter. 
right? A, a lot of the beef that was created with us and Tyler, and, and not Tyler Perry, but uh, Chris Rock. Yeah. In terms of why a lot of us wasn't that sympathetic with Chris Rock was because a lot of jokes that he's made in the past kind of contributed to uh, certain types of anti-blackness. The niggas was like, we're not rocking with it. Like the whole nigga versus black people joke. Yeah. Bro, was not rocking with it, right? Then, then politics is important in terms of how we how we have these dialogue, right? If that that anti-racist work, that anti-oppression work, that anti-patriarchal, anti-sexist work yeah. is consistent. That shit don't stop because socialization is much deeper. And as and as we gonna continue this conversation, we are gonna see even being socialized in race is so significant, right? It's so impactful. Ooh, it's so impactful. It was supposed to be off. It'd be off. Y'all, I have day. to tell somebody <laughs> in the chat. Let me know if the one I'm talking about, my people who've been rocking with us for a long time. Do I not have to give get the plug together once a week, every week about this damn cell phone, about this ringer? The next tenant. The next tenant. The phone be oh. dead half the time. If it ain't dead, it's ringing in the middle of our podcast. I have a problem with that. Go ahead to the next tenant. I'm over. <laughs> Okay, the next tenet of uh, critical race theory uh, is differential racialization. Differential racialization. That term refers to how society racializes different groups at different times, shifting with the needs of the labor market. So how people experience race Mm -hmm. is dependent upon what the labor market needs. That's interesting. Absolutely. When you hear that to you, what's the first thing that come to mind for you? Uh, racial capitalism and the way that capitalism cannot exist and will not exist in this country without a racialized component to it. I think I immediately think about the transatlantic slave trade and the components of modernity, modernity being being the new world that was created. And I mean, the entire world. Yes, you might say chattel slavery only happened between the Western banks of Africa in the United States, but it had implications globally for how niggas were capable of existing. So that being said, like when I think of that, I hear the inextricable, the inextricable connection of blackness and capitalism. Right. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. And, and what's unique about that is when we think about the labor market, it's a great example that I kind of mentioned earlier, but I want to expound more upon here. Mm-hmm. is the Asian community, right? The Asian community was racialized different during times like World War II, during times like the uh, the intercontinental railroads that they was working on. Mm-hmm. When a lot of, and, and when there was competition between uh, Chinese laborers and white laborers, the way that Chinese people were demonized. And then now when you look at uh, with, the, with the tech industry and, the, uh, and kind of the advances that are in, the, in education that they get overseas, they, hey, they they kept creating all type of visas to bring them over here to do work, mm-hmm. right? And so we see that there was a point in time when Asian racialization put pushed them to more to the bottom of the racial hierarchy during uh during the times of uh the internment camps and and uh railroad labor. But then you see them get pushed to the model minority in more recent years mm-hmm. as as they were able to help and work with more uh, tech jobs. And so that that's a another perfect example of the way people are racialized when it comes to the labor market, it's Latino people and immigration. Immigration is now a hot button issue mm-hmm. because there's there's this, this beef created between uh, 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 migrant people and so-called American workers. Right. And they're saying that the beef is between the workers and the migrants, but who is employing 
all of these undocumented people. Hmm. Corporations. Right. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, Come on. like paying people under the table, right? Giving it paying cash and, and getting all type of government benefits for it. They don't have to pay these people. Uh, they don't have to pay these people uh, 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 benefits. They don't have to pay taxes on these people. None of that. Right, they just they just pay them under the which table. Means you don't have to insure them, which means they can be hurt, they can be mistreated, they can be manipulated, they can be abused. And because you don't have a social security number and a dotted line to put your signature, we get to do whatever we want to with you because you you take whatever you'll take what we give you, unregulated. And 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 so the 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 racialization that Latino people have to deal with nowadays has to do with the uh, the migrant effort right and, and the role that that plays in 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 the competitive labor markets mm -hmm. right racialization is dependent upon the exchange of okay how do you benefit the labor market in the united states can we get that bread off of you and who are we going to put you in competition against mm. right um with that with that being pointed out it's another conversation that i want to have about race and class but i think we're going to get at a whole we're going to get at a whole show we're going to give race and class a whole show uh, but I think what's important to point out, though, um, in terms of this next tenant, uh, is as we talked about intersectionality and anti-essentialism, mm -hmm. right? So after after racial uh, racial uh, uh, what was it? differential racialization, the next tenant is intersectionality and anti-essentialism. Uh, Toya Toya does a Toya does a great lecture on intersectionality. So if, if you don't mind breaking down this tenant. I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to you to break this one down. Well, I mean, okay. So intersectionality is the kind of orientation we have to identity that recognizes that individuals are never one identity or one singular expression of identity at a time, which means not only do we have to understand individual components of their identity, i.e. their gender, their race, their class, their subject position in terms of class, things like disability, right? Things like uh, immigrant status, things like your like all of these different components, your age, right? But that they intersect to create a very unique experience and reality for you and how you navigate life. There was a woman that Kimberly Crenshaw um, spoke with who uh, talked specifically when she was developing this theory of, of, of intersectionality, uh, who was dealing with a lawsuit. And the issue with this lawsuit was that she worked in a, a blue collar uh, job that was slowly but surely allowing women to start to migrate uh, and transition from more clerical jobs, you know, desk jobs, that type of work into doing some of yeah. the hard labor that she was experiencing. And so when she began to experience exclusion and discrimination and wanted to make, again, these are legal studies, a legal claim and sue that particular country mm -hmm. company because of the way she was being treated, it was difficult because they were not sure about whether or not this was an issue and that she was being excluded on the level of her race or whether she was being excluded on the level of her class. I mean, I'm sorry, of her sex. What that created was uh, a, a clear misnomer or a clear misunderstanding in the ways in which black women uniquely are not treated fairly because her womanness did not have her treated or being engaged with or getting the same opportunities as her white female counterparts. But at the same time, the black men whom she worked as, alongside were not treated nearly as poorly as she was and were given more opportunities to advance and do the things that they wanted to do to their highest capacity in that country. Right. And so right. that started to force a, a question of combining, converging, and truly understanding the ways that people don't exist as a monolith, but rather 
me as a woman does not mean I have the same experiences as another Asian woman, as another Latina woman, but black women uniquely, young black women uniquely, young black women who grew up in the lower class uniquely, young black women who are able-bodied, right, who speak English, who have citizenship, right, have a very unique way that they exist within institutions, thus shaping the way we have to understand and orient ourselves toward their realities. This also then implicates questions of anti-essentialism, which then begs the question and kind of falls in line with that. When we talk about essentializing, what we mean mm. is the mandatory kind of, uh, um, uh, what do I want to, how do I want to describe this? Essentialism deals with the ways that we come to, uh, there's a word that I'm looking for, have a like homogenous, the term. A homogenous, homogenous understanding yeah. of a particular yeah. identity. When we think about a woman, this is what a woman is. When we think about black people or a black woman, this is what a black woman is. When we think about Asian identities, when we think about native identities, this is exactly what it is. And we cannot, anti-essentialism moves away from the idea that we can have this very fixed interpretation of what a particular identity looks like or how they experience mm -hmm. oppression, how they navigate certain institutions. But rather, we have to put our critical thinking hats on, right? And push ourselves to have deeper conversations about how race implicates individuals in a multiplicity of ways yeah and, and what's crazy to me is that like so there's this argument that essentially that um critical race theory is what essentializes people mm -hmm. because it, it, it attempts to it attempts to create static uh meanings for what it means to be white what it means to be black sure you know, what that's what that dad was kind of getting at in that conversation Right, but but I, it but what it, again? The reason why y'all don't know shit about critical race theory is because it is a response to how that system and process is already underway. We don't people who push back against racism mm -hmm. aren't the ones creating the racial hierarchy. We're identifying a hierarchy that exists and the way people experience that hierarchy. That's Absolutely. why I think it's crazy. This fits in the line where people try to say. Well, the people calling out racism are the racists themselves. That is ridiculous logic. Nonsense. Racism exists independent of people calling it out. Matter of fact, racism is such so normal, right? It's such a regular part of our day that most of the things that we do that actually exacerbate racism, makes racism worse, we don't even realize. Most of the, 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 the core components of racism are mm. so entwined with how we understand society that when a, a lot of uh, a lot of the way that we view the world, a lot of way that we view black people, the way that we look at history, right, is already tied up in the hierarchy of race. Absolutely. Right. That's why I even tell people, um, there there's a there is a uh there is a disadvantage to when we talk about like there's a, there's a debate about whether or not a, uh, Egyptians were black. Sure. And and there's an incentive for black people to put the label of black on Egyptians. That don't make no goddamn sense. <laughs> Egyptians were people that were able to exist outside of the racial shackles we were placed on. Absolutely. They had the opportunity to name themselves. But because we are so tied to the socialization of being a black person, mm -hmm. right? Which which I'm not necessarily arguing that, that we say that we should try to be something else. But at the same time, it's, 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 under, it's recognizing that I exist under a, a particular racial hierarchy. But people that, that don't exist under that hierarchy don't need to be defined by that hierarchy. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it, there, there's, a, there's a massive um, disadvantage when we, attempt to, when we attempt to look at like actually having legit conversations about racism and then people turn and look at you and they have the ability to say, well, you're bringing up race and you're talking <laughs> about race 
in everything. So yeah. you're the problem. You're the racist. So like, bro, it don't even work like that. Yeah, race is <laughs> omnipresent, boss. It didn't. It didn't take me being here to make race an important component or implication of this exchange. Uh, so that's intersectionality. Uh, the last tenet that we're gonna mm. speak on. Um, and then there's one more concept. Of, of critical race theory that we're going to discuss but the last tenet that we're going to speak on is what's known as the voice of color thesis and this is an interesting one the voice of color thesis says that because of different histories and experiences to those of white counterparts it matters that the white people are unlikely to know must be communicated to them by the racialized minorities matters that the white people are unlikely to know must be communicated to them by oh, by racialized minorities. That means mm. that the ignorant that the the willful ignorance of white people when they are just so wrong about uh, racial issues when they're just so wrong and how they characterize the black struggle. The idea is that well, since we experience it, the onus is upon us to explain that to white people. Mm-hmm. Toya, from your perspective, why would critical race theory have an issue? With the responsibility of minorities to uh, to have to explain what racism is to white people, uh, a couple things I think historically, um, and there are critical race theorists, theorists more contemporary critical race theorists who talk about the illegibility or the ill, uh, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> the yeah the 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 kind of inability to understand the humanity being lost when it comes to black people, right? There are arguments that discuss and describe the ways by which uh, chattel slavery and the gratuitous, gratuitous meaning free, unnecessary, incessant, excessive violence that was experienced by black people for no reason at all is proof and demonstration that white people really just don't, when we cry out for help, it does not register. Right. It does not compute. It does not become or be internalized as human or at least not in a big enough way that reverberates through our institutions, institutions, systems and structures. Yes, there are some white compassionate people who are able to understand the way that anti-black violence, for example, is formative to black people's experience and why it's bad. Right. And why it's gratuitous and why it's ultra violent. But then there are other ways. Right. Or other instances where that is that there's no continuity there. So we need you to go to your Thanksgiving table. Right. You have to have conversations with your people and there has to be a more intentional way that you massage in and share with them and understand what you know about these implications, because from black people, it does not seem to register the same way. These are this is why some people argue that Black Lives Matter as a rally cry is uh, is, is 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 futile. Right. Yeah. It's largely obsolete. Oh, yeah. I was saying no that. Yeah. Finish up. No, just that there was no world where this registers on the level of white people's consciousness, compassion, uh, compassion and humanity. Right. It just doesn't really sit there. So, look, and this is the crazy thing about it, because back in I, I've, I've defended Black Lives Matter like to niggas on the Internet. But at the same time, my criticism of Black Lives Matter was the audience. Yeah, <laughs> I think that the uh, I mean, because it, it speaks to exactly what like what the uh, and again, this is called the voice of color thesis. The, the argument against the idea that black people are supposed to be explaining racism to white people, like it's mm-hmm. our job. The way the, the way liberals like to position certain niggas is, he has a good explanation of race. I like how he talks about racism. That type of shit, right? Um, the brother, like one, one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite thinkers, Stokely Carmichael, aka mm-hmm. Kwame Ture, what he said was, in terms of his criticism of the civil rights movement, was that he felt that the civil rights movement was a message to white people. I'm a human. I'm a citizen of the United States. 
I know I should be able to walk into this this restaurant and mm-hmm. dine without uh, with, with without any uh, issue, primarily because that's what's supposed to be allotted to someone of the United States. I feel the same way about Black Lives Matter in that its message was outward. It was mm-hmm. for people who didn't know the importance of Black lives. It was for people who didn't understand the importance of Black lives. And so that's that's why I even think that while there is a while there's a valid criticism of Black Lives Matter, that valid criticism exists under a lens of critical race theory. Mm. But the issue is that niggas end up adopting the lens of 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 white conservatives to critique this this black issue, and it gets the issue completely wrong. Um, so those were the, those are the five tenets of critical race theory: mm-hmm. the fact that racism is ordinary; it's not a deviation; the fact that racism in our society uniquely benefits whites. The fact that social, uh, the social construction thesis, which is that race is a product of social thought, it's not inherent or objective or biological, uh, the, or biological. Thank you. Uh, it, it uh, the idea of differential racialization, which is that society racializes different groups of people to uh, to appease the needs of the labor market. Um, critical race theory operates under intersectionality and anti-essentialism, and is that our, our identities intersect. Right, we we are made up of matrices of different identities, right? That, that create who we are, mm-hmm. and the voice of color thesis, and that is the, the last tenet is that black people are not responsible for explaining racism to people who know what racism is, commits it every day, but then want to act like, oh, who, like what is this, right? Not responsible. Um, Right. And so the last the last thing I want to touch on um, before we get out of here is what 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 Derek Bell wrote about. Um, known as interest convergence theory. Mm-hmm. Interest convergence theory. Uh, what Derry Bell argued was that uh, civil rights as we knew it was solely dependent on people. It's on purpose, by the way. It's just like oh, oh, definitely on purpose. Yeah, I just like <laughs> y'all pointed out the difference between liberals and leftists. There are big differences. We'll start to pepper more of that conversation and more of the discussions we have from here on out. But important distinction. Shout out to Vince. Because to be clear, we are leftists. We are not, not liberals. Period. Uh, and, and and y'all y'all definitely recognize the, the difference soon. But um, but what Derrick Derek Bell real what Derek Bell argued with interest convergence theory is that whiteness will always make concessions that whatever concession it needs in order to maintain its social dominance. Mm-hmm. That means that, for example, uh, Derek Bell argued, and he got a lot of he got a lot of slack for this. There's a lot of controversy for this. Derrick Bell argued that the only reason that Brown versus Board of Education uh, was went through the uh, or helped desegregate the United States was because at that time, what was it nineteen? What was it nineteen fifty six? In in nineteen fifty six, the United States was four or five years deep into the Cold War, and the Cold War had to do with the United States humanizing its image as the land of freedom, the land of peace, uh, juxtaposed to Russia, who they call the communist overlords, the dictators, Mm -hmm. right? They don't care about human rights. Now, how do those things connect? Derrick Bell argued that the reason why uh, the, the Supreme Court decided to desegregate schools in the United States even after there have been many efforts to desegregate the United the uh, schools that had failed, the reason why they did it in 1956 was because they couldn't have ex soldiers who fought mm-hmm. in World War II, fought in the Korea War, 
coming home and being mistreated the way that black people have been treated in the United States up until that point. And so to help to, to actually maintain their image, the civil rights, uh, uh, the Brown versus Board of Education aired in favor of uh, they voted in favor of Brown to help desegregate our schools. John F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. someone who uh, laid the foundation, him and his brother, Robert Kennedy, laid the foundation for the Civil Rights Act. Both of them uniquely spoke about violence in the streets as it pertains to why a civil rights act needed to be passed. Mm-hmm. When John F. Kennedy gave one of his most famous speeches where he was talking about uh, the, the need for a civil rights act, he mentioned uh, peace, right? He mentioned like equality and shit like that. He mentioned that maybe like five or six times. It's documented. Four or five times. Yeah. John F. Kennedy mentioned violence in the streets more than 15 times mm-hmm. when giving his speech on the state of race relations in the United States. And so what Derrick Bell argued and what he believes interest convergence theory is, is that white uh, power structures will make concessions that benefit uh, minority groups or oppressed groups as long as it works to maintain the power that the white structures currently have. Mm-hmm. Right? That's his argument. Tell you, when you hear that, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think about Black History Month advertisements. <laughs> I don't know why. That's just immediately what I think about is like the 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 pandering that happens to ensure that they are not, you know, on black people's hit lists or you know, black people's ban or don't shop here or protest list or whatever, is that historically they know and what do we know about black people that we are the some of the biggest consumers, if not the biggest consumers that exist in the, the American economy. And so when you want to go cash in on a good deal or you know what i'm saying whatever you got to make sure you made it count in february because those black people are going to remember right and so I, that's what i think of when i think of interest convergence theory but that's one minute very small example of infinite ways that we right. have seen that play out in a variety of ways in our real lives is it fair to progress is, is it, it is, is interest is interest convergence theory fair to the progress that the civil rights movement has made Right, that you know, Dr. King sacrificed his life for you know, that's the rhetoric that people use. Dr. King, he died for this, right? Right, so is, is it fair to progress? I think that's an interesting question. I don't know, fair to to, to progress is, is an interesting way to frame it. Um, I think I that's why I asked it like that. <laughs> I, I, I think in a lot of ways. It feels two step forward, one step backy. I mean, I'm sorry, yes, two step forward, five steps backy, right? Because there's no buddy buddying our way out of these issues. And as long as white people get to walk away feeling better about themselves or giving each other the internal thumbs up one with another that they still their plan or their goals are still on track, then I don't think it means a whole lot, right? It becomes shallow gestures and and and, and performative in ways that we need materiality and complete revolution and change. And so I would say yes, largely just because I think it allows for us to have, and it has continued to allow for us to be very comfortable and excited about piecemeal, very small, very fragmented contributions to what it means to to reprioritize blackness in this country and to really push back against white supremacy. Right? I think it's just like, yeah, that's cute, but we really not really benefit in the end. I would say, I would say it's. I would say it's not. Like I, I'm gonna be honest. I would say it's not fair to the narrative of progress. Hmm. 
But the reason why I would say it's not fair to the narrative of progress is because the narrative of progress isn't based in truth. It's not based in honesty. Yeah. It's based in feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Crit- critical race theory is not fair because it's like it 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 it, it plays it, it you know it, it's too honest. Mm. Right? Like it's it's kind of like um you know it, it, I mean it's kind of like you know with KD at the Warriors. Right? <laughs> this this is something that's uh, no matter what no matter what you got on your team, the Warriors always got something that's going to trump that. And yeah. the issue the issue with racism in the United States is that when we when we understand racial realism, when we recognize the role that it plays, like when when people are looking at it like, oh, we're you know this group is oppressed and this group is oppressed and like look how far we came. Ugh, reality, yeah. like yeah, I, my kid can go to school with a white kid, but then reality turns around and tells you, what benefit does that do? Does that do him? Yeah. Right. When when there's de- when there's evidence that shows that the higher the amount of white students to black students, the more likely black students are going are, are to be uh, uh, admonished or disciplined mm-hmm. than those white students. Yeah. Right. What is the benefit of that? Right. So so while there is a narrative that we are attempting to try to push to create this social image, to create this social cohesion where we're all on the same page. Critical race theory kind of calls up that mirror. Yeah. Like you think that makeup look good, but you look like a damn fool. You look like a clown, right? Like it's not it 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 it's not productive. You feel me? And so, and that's why I'm okay with saying that it's not fair, because what you're trying to do, right? People are okay with, but it's a trump card. Yes, racism is a trump card. Mm-hmm. If you hold that shit up, right? <laughs> with, there's nothing else you can throw at it that'll be like, well, this. Uh, yeah, slavery. The, the reason why people, the, I mean, no, no, for real, Toya, for real. Yeah. And, and I know we we reaching the hour mark, so you know, what I'm saying we trying to we trying to wrap it up. But like, let, let's think about it though. Recognizing the reality in the history of racism in the United States doesn't benefit Ron DeSantis. Yeah, it doesn't benefit white conservatives. Absolutely. Doing the opposite benefits them. Yeah. In a world where, and this is what um, uh, Michelle, uh, not Michelle Alexander, but uh, Kimberly Crenshaw mm-hmm. referred to as anti, uh, what, what's called a uh, uh, George Floyd, the uh, George Floyd backlash. We went through a social, um, what like awakening after George Floyd, right? When Black Lives Matter was everywhere, when when they was putting Black Lives Matter in Madden and in Two K. Right, like that, mm-hmm. like that type of commercialization. Like while we're thinking, like that, that, that hard popular culture mainstream swing to the left, where everybody's like, we need to talk about structural racism and we need to talk about the main issues. That pendulum has to go back. It the has other to swing way. back the other way. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And yeah. what happened with, especially uniquely with critical race theory, is that critical race theory became the weight that they used to push it back to the other side, to get people back excited about not being okay with diversity, to get people back excited about not being okay with uh, 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 with having different groups, right? Being treated equitably. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And um, Because the thing I want to touch on real quick is that the entire uh, crusade against Black Lives Matter was manufactured. This is to uh, send this to your black friend 
They yeah. don't are not excuse me, not Black Lives Matter, but critical race theory. Send okay. this to your black send this to your black friend that think critical race theory is bad. The entire critical race theory conversation was manufactured by a self-proclaimed conservative activist in uh let me get his name in um in Seattle. His name was Christopher Rufo. Christopher Rufo. Christopher Rufo. And what he did, and what he did was he was looking for the new landscape. He was looking for like for ground to be like with all these conversations of structural racism, all these conversations of people being done bad. Where do conservatives have our rebuttal, our response? Because right now, or at, at that time, back in, the, in, in 2019, right, going into 2020, uh, the conversation was, hey, if you ain't if you ain't recognizing structural racism, if you ain't rec- recognizing structural oppression, you're doing bad. Right. right. Society's leaving you behind. Conservatives didn't want to capitulate to that because they had too many white races voting for them. So what what Christopher Rufo did was he started paying attention to what became known as anti-racist lecture. Mm-hmm. Right. Like anti like uh uh, uh, what was like white training r- retreats, right? Where you learn about your whiteness and learn about all. The- and so, because there were all, it was all these pr- uh, principalities and municipalities and cities and counties that were hiring people to inform their community about, uh, you know, the structural racism conversation. Right. And a lot of those anti-racist thinkers started with like, "Hey, whiteness is something y'all need to be challenging." Mm-hmm. Right. Now, this this is something I'm sure you're familiar with, Toy. These conversations and. How, as an educator, as an educator yourself, what happened was he started compiling the complaints that white people were having about these anti-racist lectures and writing articles about them. Then he opened up a hotline. This is Christopher Rufo of Seattle. He's a he's a uh, conservative activist. It was an article in the New Yorker about him and, and and this whole thing. What he started doing was he started compiling different calls that he would get. Emails he was getting about mm-hmm. other people who had issues with these anti-racist educators, anti-racist trainers trying to tell these uh, educators that, hey, check your privilege. You know, right? yeah. white people love them a hotline, don't they? They love right. to call, <laughs> us, call us right now. That's how, that's how it is in Texas and Florida. If somebody say, somebody say a game, call us. Right here's right. the number, 1-800. Right. Mention up. It's crazy. It, that just, it's I'm, one. In, it's one in Arizona right now. Let me actually disgusting. like look at this. Hold on. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Arizona launches anti-woke parent hotline to report critical race theory gender lessons. I, I'm over it. They will right. give you a number to call in a heartbeat. They love it. Christopher Rufo started that, y'all. But what he, what Christopher Rufo admitted though, is that he was looking for a term. He was looking for language that he felt would be the rallying cry for the mm-hmm. conservative culture war. The rallying cry. And he he thought he looked at woke and he was like, nah, woke is a little too ambiguous. It's, it's, it's too much of a positive spin they can put on woke. Mm-hmm. But then he heard the term critical race theory. He heard the term critical race theory. And loved it. And immediately he knew this is it. This is it. So Christopher Rufo started writing many different articles about critical race theory. And his efforts landed him on an episode of Tucker Carlson. And when he said the phrase critical race theory to Tucker Carlson, and he said, we need people rooting out 
these 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 people that are teaching educators to be anti-white. We need people pointing those things out. What's up, Toya? I also want to point out the contingent and kind of juxtaposing timeline of campuses around the country, college campuses, creating entire degree programs and study programs of study to really formalize the knowledge and the education on the ways that racism and white supremacy were happening. So it wasn't enough that race was already being a conversation that was massaged into textbooks, into lectures, into uh, 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 conversations in classrooms that were being happened on the K through 12 level. But this is where you see a lot of your black studies departments, right? This is where you start to see a lot of different universities really take on um, having diversity, equity, inclusion be part and parcel, but not only what is being taught, on the institutional level or the administrative level, but also to students, right? So there was also a huge fear kind of happening concurrently with that about the emboldened nature of the younger members of our society and the ways that society was in probably, not probably, but subsequently going to be changed or altered by people then uh, uh, really perfecting this school of thought, right? Getting whole mm -hmm. degree programs and majoring and minoring, getting PhDs in the studies of these things is also something that rattled the consciousness of a lot of conservatives and white people in that regard. Just wanted to Rattled. give you some kind of some some bilateral bilateral Scared understanding. They ass. Absolutely Had shook. terrified. Shook. Because look, this will happen. Immediately after Chris Rufo was on Tucker Carlson, the next morning, that nigga got a call from the White House. <laughs> the next morning, after he was on Tucker Carlson talking about critical race theory was a bad thing. Uh, Mark Meadows, I think his chief of staff of, of Donald Trump at the time, reached out to Christopher Rufo and wanted his insight and wanted to uh, consult him on language that was necessary for a uh, executive order to mm -hmm. ban critical race theory. So this entire, when you hear people complaining about critical race theory in the media, that entire controversy was manufactured just so white racists and white conservatives can have a, a jumping off point, yeah. right? They can have a new platform in this culture war because they saw that the, the conversation of racism, was, it, it was a moral high ground that they couldn't get past, right? And we're going to have another episode about the role that liberals play, right? And the, and the, and the CRT criticism of liberalism, mm -hmm. right? But ultimately what conservatives saw was that this racism shit, it's a Trump card. We got we to gotta find a way to get around it. Calling shit reverse racism don't work, right? Mm -hmm. We definitely, uh, like, really trying to embrace races is going to get us canceled. We're going to lose exactly. sponsorship out of the type of shit. And it takes so away from our power. We have black people. We have brown people who, we, who want to align with us, right? So we can't really rally around racism being good, right? We have to make sure that we don't alienate individuals. So we'll particularize and specify our grievance with teaching this with sharing right. this knowledge with forwarding these particular narratives which is then something that black people and brown people can get around because i don't understand why you're complaining so much you just do what i did and go to college and save your money and exactly. go do that and you can get scholarships and i don't understand and you could just get citizenship the way that i did and there's nothing wrong with going through the citizenship process Nonsense. like my ancestors like they get to have Nonsense. all of these talking points mm -hmm. because of the narrowing of that conversation and reliance on critical race theory then to be the inroads to them having the types of politics that they want to forward. So what, so what we have to understand, um, and we, we're going to be having more conversations about critical race theory, but what needs to be understood when you see the controversy, understand what's coming, but also know that it's manufactured. It's not real, right? These black thinkers are doing what they're doing with the, with the reality of what black people experience yeah. in real life. Right. 
This ain't about this conversation has nothing to do with black with white feelings and how white people feel about themselves and and, and whether or not we're trying to make them feel bad. If yeah. the reality of race in the United States creates feelings of regret and guilt, that's more of a question of the foundation that the United States is built on, not the people that's calling that bullshit out. And so this has this is this is our crash course, right? We went over the tenets of of critical race theory, um, and we we introduced one of the main concepts associated with it, and that is interest convergence theory, the idea that black progress is always dictated by the white benefit, white advantage. And so, um, be looking forward to more conversations that we'll be having surrounding these uh, sur- surrounding this topic and getting more specific, right? There's a conversation about uh, CRT, liberals and Democrats that we need to have. Mm-hmm. Y'all know the political plug stands on, I am not a Democrat. I am black. Get it understood, right? And, it, and it's something to be said about the ways in which black experiences and the black struggle have been co-opted by Democrat. the left. Or not, yeah. not the left, but by liberals. Yeah. And so, hey, Apocalypse Now said this. I came here to tell the truth. And if the truth condemns America, then she stands condemned. It is what it is. But Same we are also America. going to ha- we're also going to have an episode uh, about critical race theory and black history. We're gonna get you know, we're gonna touch on that. But uh for ne- for, for next week to cap off um women's history month, I oh, will we still have got two more birthdays, boss. Oh, we got we got another one. So the 23rd and the 30th. We still got two more so Thursdays. We so not next week. We're gonna do yeah, it we, the last you said the last one. Okay, so we, we can do it next week. Um, we're gonna see. We're gonna we gonna yeah. keep y'all updated. Uh so my uh my sister-in-law is a endocrinologist, a uh fertility specialist. Um, specifically, uh or part of her mission is making sure that black women get the fertility needs that that uh that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a very interesting conversations her and I have had about fertility uh, in black families and uniquely black men. Um, so it'll be very interesting to get her in here to uh, to hear some of her insight and some of her expertise. Uh, and we got we got another we got another Thursday that we, we need to figure Thursday it out. For. Work with some stuff. So we'll we'll surprise you with that. We'll allow the world to kind of happen and figure out a new topic. But make sure y'all come in. You know, we love to have guests. We love to talk to our guests and have meaningful conversations and have a big chop. So for Women's History Month, I think that's going to be a great way to, to, to put a cap on that and to really get into some interesting components of not only what affects black women and their ability or black people. Right. Because when we talk about fertility, we're talking about black trans folk, black people in general, but individuals who want to have babies, who want to produce and also the uh, black folk who contribute to that process, particularly individuals who identify as black and male, right? Who have the ability to, 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 you know, make a baby. So we'll get into all of that. You know, we always talking about stuff in the meantime, go check the page out. Make sure you follow at the chop up show uh, on IG, because we're always having different conversations about a bunch of stuff going on as usual. If y'all got things you want us to talk about or had it, make sure you dropping stuff in the DMS, talking about it in the chat. If you haven't already go ahead and like this live, go ahead and like it. If you're on Facebook, go ahead and love it. Like if you haven't go ahead and hit the share arrow. I ain't even telling y'all to say too much. 
You ain't got to put a caption for now. I just, just put some put some hundred signs, put some fire emojis, and just hit that share button real quick. Make sure you letting people know that we over here having great conversation, not only with each other, but with y'all. And we breaking down some concepts so that we are not fooled and falling for uh, the inability to have the lexicon or the vocabulary to talk about things about critical race theory, especially as much as they are shaping not only our everyday conversations, but the way that our children are ed educated and the way that we're going to vote come 2024, right? So you can no longer agree with the title of this show. The title of this show was y'all don't know shit about critical race theory. That's no longer true. Y'all are tapped in, do. tuned in. Y'all are good. Uh, Kaaria, uh, Epocalypse Meow, Vance, uh, Melodious Ramblings. When you listen to this, I know we make sure we shout you out because we know you somewhere showing love. Uh, Dina, Mongo Slade, Everybody, man, your Briggs. Listen, I think who was a uh, uh, J Universe? We also had Taz up in here, Miss Myasia. We love all of y'all. You know, always gonna shout y'all out by name because y'all spending time rocking and rolling with us. And so, as usual, we want to make sure y'all have a good evening. Emmanuel's in the comments in the chat showing love. Like, it's 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 a blessing to me. Every Thursday, y'all rock with us, and next Thursday, don't let it be no different. Make sure y'all slide on the show. Plug if you ain't got no last word. If you do have last word, share them. If not, I'm done saying what I got to say. We can get on up out of here. What you got? Uh, so the last thing I say is that listen, um, support black leftists, support black leftists. Uh, I mean, listen, it, I, I get why y'all don't watch the news, but we trying to get it to y'all correct. We trying to get yeah. it to y'all correct. Um, it's a lot of independent media out there. It ain't no independent media that sound like us. It ain't nobody that's giving it to y'all like us. So you know what I'm saying? Support the movement, the Chop Up Show movement, uh, Chop Nation movement. Like again, like we out here, like our our goal and our focus is to make sure that we elevate the conversations that people that look like us are having, or people that align like us are having. Yeah, you know what I mean. So the ultimate goal is to make sure that when we are touching on these topics and we're having these conversations, yeah, you know I mean it, it it creates a material benefit as well as increasing the knowledge of you know what I'm saying our community. You know what I mean, uh, the and, and everybody that matters to us, we're trying to create the proper talking points, the top proper conversation. So when y'all leave from watching the chop up show and you hear somebody talking some bullshit on you're CRT, ready to take on anybody, man. That's all that matters. That's you're all that matters. Like, share, subscribe, man. We're trying to grow. Make sure that the chop up show grows and becomes more than just you know what I'm saying, what it is just now. We're trying to blow up and we need y'all to do it. So like, share, subscribe, bro. Facebook. Instagram, uh, YouTube, Let's everywhere. Go. With that being said, we're gonna let y'all next time. We out. <laughs>